0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please
1: visit praycc.org I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, Jim to come up and share a little bit about Doers of the Word for the month of August.
0: Does it is a work today? Yeah, nice. That was awesome. Um, as, as Jeff was praying, it kind of connected, and this is before the doers, right? But I was at, at home today, and uh, it ta- I was just sitting back. I got up early because I love to, and uh, rain and the thunder and all that was happening. And I was just thanking the Lord for soaking the soil. And Jeff was talking about entering into that rest, and the soil did not labor to receive the rain. The soil just made itself available, and the Lord soaked the soil. So if you have some dry places, and I was, I was interested, I was praying for the church. says, so if you have some dry places, just let Papa God soak you. Sometimes it'll feel like a heavy rain, like you're going, oh, 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 And then sometimes he just comes like the dew, but he just wants to soak the dry places. And what better place than in his sanctuary? This is a sanctuary of the Most High, and that's what our vision is for the house of prayer, it to be a sanctuary for the Most High God and build an altar of prayer for him in this city, build a resting place of his presence through worship and prayer, that he and the Holy Spirit would feel welcome in this city, that he would have a remnant. It doesn't matter to the Abba. He says, by by many or by few, I can win this battle through you and as you partner with me. And this is what our vision is for the house of prayer. Our priority is his presence. Our priority is that place of intimacy. Are that our priority is, Lord, we need you. And he says, and I desire you. Big, big paradigm. Big thing that applies in the house of prayer and in our own personal lives. And I appreciate what Callie was sharing about the, the personal, intimate, uh, sit at his feet um, kind of place. And I think I can get to this. Yeah, awesome. So as I was praying, I wanted to just kind of, again, I talked about the vision yesterday, how we ended up here, staying here. I tell people, I says, we got like, we got 12 inches away from moving to Kansas City. 12 inches. 12 more inches and we would have been in Kansas City right now. Because we had somebody offer, almost offered our home to buy our home when we thought we were going to be moving they made they talked to the realtor they had everything in place they liked the home it fit them and they went out and they says but that garage can we measure the garage cuz we it's a double garage but he says and and they said we're just not comfortable getting both of our vehicles in that garage so they checked it out and they went yeah it's just not wide enough for us so they withdrew the offer and then one thing led to another and, and Jeff spoke by the Holy Spirit and says, yeah, you're supposed to stay. <laughs> and we said, yeah, we know. <laughs> and so then that's when the house of prayer started getting even more traction. I mean, we were having fun before, but I mean, it just started ramping up big time in our vision, in our understanding, in our hope for this city, for our children, for our nation. And it just began to expand, and God began to teach us things. And so this is, this is our desire, our, our, our longing, our yearning for Jesus to come and visit northern Iowa. That's part of the expansion. We started with a city. We started with a church. And then God says, now hit the city. Okay. We're praying for the city. He says, now bring in the other cities around this area. And we totally believe God has staked a claim over nine counties in North Iowa that he has said, these are mine. My son has purchased. And we believe and are part of the uh, strategy of God in in moving in our city is worship and prayer. He loves to, to hear us ask. He loves it when you ask him. I'm kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but I I appreciate it when people say, wow, you're a real prayer warrior. And I think to myself, yeah, so are you. (laughs) You know, look in the mirror. And as I was pondering that this morning, I went, we can come in before the most high, Father God, and say, Father, rescue my child. Guess what? War breaks out. War breaks out on your behalf and on the behalf of your child. Prayer warrior. That connection releases the power and the presence of God to do warfare for us. So never look at yourself, well, I'm not a prayer warrior like them. Yes, you are. You may have a different assignment than what we have, and that's kind of what I'm trying to share is our assignment as a house of prayer. And we pray for the churches. We pray for Israel. We pray for our nation. We pray for... um, Okay, I got a question. Anybody hear about the the riots and stuff going on in Portland? Everybody heard the riots in Portland? Did everybody hear what happened last night in Portland? Over 2,000 people on the streets of Portland worshiping Jesus. Over a couple hundred, they guesstimate, they don't even have a number, because it was just flooding the streets with worshipers a couple, they figure a couple hundred accepted Jesus for the first time, and many of them took off and got baptized in a river in downtown Portland. This is, we've got to pray for this. We get, this is part of our inheritance as his people. We get to celebrate, rejoice, and intercede that that would happen, and that's what we got to do Friday, and we heard it this, I got the report this morning on the internet, and I'm like going, Oh, the media might miss this one, but I'm not missing it. The church is not going to miss it. God is moving. <laughs> Want to hear what else happened? This is crazy. At the same time, I got an email. There was a 5.3 earthquake in uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, this morning. They had a tremor earlier, it was like a two point something, and then they had a 5.3, one of the largest. And I'm like, going, okay, God, what are you saying? He says, "I'm shaking the earth and I'm shaking the heavenlies. I'm shaking things up, both coasts. Guess who's in the epicenter of what God's doing? The Midwest. He's doing all of this around us, and we, as a people of God, are really positioned to intercede, positioned to seek His face, positioned to stand in the gap." I, I was going to share a scripture. I'll just share it off the top. It's what Peter says. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they listed off, Elijah, the prophets. Says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, "I, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he said, Jesus says, said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven revealed this to you. And you are Peter, but upon this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word church in the Greek is government they when jesus said that that probably shocked everybody there you're building your government your church which was the ecclesia or ecclesia however it's pronounced you building your government what's that all about that the gates of hell and the gates signify authority signify access that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church my governing authority. So we take this to heart at the house of prayer. This is part of our fulfilling that word that Jesus spoke to begin to stand at the gate. We've been praying for our children, school board, principals, standing at the gate of the schools, welcoming Holy Spirit, welcoming peace, welcoming wisdom, welcoming protection over our kids and over our teachers. It's what we do. It's what we're called to do. And this is uh, part of God's plan for all of us, but we have an assignment. We appreciate your partnership. We get to partner with Living Free and be in the back there and rent through them. So any seed, any gift you can give to the house of prayer, very much appreciated. We really appreciate your prayer support. On the 21st of this month, we're going to have a worship night on uh, Friday night, 630 in the front part of the beacon. And as I was excited about, I was thinking about that, and I had this simple thought drop in my head. I felt the Holy Spirit says, I want to I meet with you. I want to meet with you. That Friday night, says, I want to meet with you. And I believe there's certain times and seasons in God's heart when he says stuff like that. He wants to meet with us here. He has already but I'm excited about that Friday night. He says, I'm gonna meet with you. And I'm like going, I think you desire it even more than we do. He longs to be with us probably more than what we realize and even in our own hearts. So uh, you're invited to the, well, you're invited at noon, Monday, Wednesday, and, and Friday, but also that Friday night, uh, we'd love to have you come. So, 6.30, I'm sorry, thank you. 6.30, 6.30 till he's done. so thanks
1: a lot and I want to just this is based out of uh, Colossians chapter one and one of the things that I think is so important for a church is we have to be very very clear about who we believe Jesus Christ to be and there are a lot of ideas out there uh, concerning the person of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me when I talk with people about God is God can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And you can talk about God in very, very generic terms. And, and you can tend to kind of have a pretty civil conversation with people about God, okay? Because again, they may not be thinking or talking about the God you're thinking and talking about. They may not be talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They may not be talking about the God of the Bible. They're talking about a God that's made up in their own image. And so you can get a pretty generic understanding of God. However, If you've ever had a conversation with somebody and and you go from talking about God to talking about Jesus, things change very, very quickly. Because now we're not just talking about generic God, we're talking about a very, very specific person who claimed to be God. As a matter of fact, Paul starts this out by saying, Christ is, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That is a loaded statement. I mean, just stop and unpack that statement. That is very, very specific. And it was a statement that oftentimes got Jesus in a lot of trouble because he said and did things that claimed that he was equal with God. And there were times where they wanted to take him out and him to death because of that belief and so again you can have very generic conversations about God but when you start talking about Jesus uh, it can become pretty heated quickly because, again, the Bible is very, very clear about who Jesus is. And because the Bible's clear about it, we need to be clear about it as a church as well. And so this is probably uh, one of many places where we find in the Bible where it gives us our Christology, our, our our study, our understanding, our revelation into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is part of our foundation as a church. Uh, It's an important part of any foundation of any church because oftentimes this is where cults and heresy begins is because they do not have a biblical understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all we need to do is just turn to scripture and there we'll find a very clear, uh, concise statement on the person of Jesus. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 22 is one of those places where we are given a very, very, clear understanding revelation from Father God into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to we're going to pray this this morning. We're not just praying this. This is our proclamation as a church. This is where we are at as a church. This is part of our foundation. So I invite you to join me as we proclaim and pray this together. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes us who were once far away from God. We were his enemies, separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled us to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought us into his own presence, And we are holy and blameless as we stand before him without a single fault. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. You may be seated. I love that last line, as a result. Because of everything we just said, as a result, the fruit of all of that is that we are brought into his very presence And we are, not that we're going to be when we get to heaven, not we're going to be holy and blameless when we die. It says we are holy and blameless now as we stand before him without a single fault. Do do you feel that? Do you feel the power, the truth, the freedom in that? Oftentimes, again, we're walking in, in, in our shame. We're walking in guilt and condemnation because of the things that we've done or not done, because of the things we've said or not said. And we make it all about us. We make it about what I've done or I haven't done. We make it about what I have said or what I haven't said. But that's not what the Bible makes it about. The Bible makes it about God the Father and what his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, did for us through the shedding of his blood, through his victory on the the cross, overcoming the death of the grave. And it's because of all of that that we are able to come into his presence, the Bible says, with boldness, with confidence. Again, not because of anything we've done, not because of us, but because of him. And we stand before him blameless and without fault. The enemy's gonna do everything he can to talk you out of that. He's gonna bring back past sins. He's gonna try to saddle you with shame, guilt, and condemnation because he knows once you figure the truth out about what God has done for us, who we are in Christ, the devil's done The only power the devil has over you is to deceive you. It's to lie to you. It's to trick you into believing something about yourself or about the work of God or the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that's not true. So oftentimes, again, he just has that power of deceiving, kind of what he did with Eve. Did God really say? And he just kind of begins to plant that seed of doubt. But when we begin to turn to the word of God, and and again, uh, again, we're just entering into that faith-filled rest. This is the faith-filled rest. Man, when we get our hearts around this, man, we can just enter into a place of rest because it's not about me, it's about him. It's not about what I've done or I'm gonna do. It's about what he's done and what he wants to do in and through me. And when again, when we just receive that truth, just let that settle into our hearts and our spirit, again, it, it just brings us to a, a, that place where Hebrews talks about that faith-filled rest. That's awesome. Hey, we've been working our way through a series of messages that have been given to seven churches there in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. The last several weeks, and I'm, Unfortunately, it took me like three weeks to get through one church, which is kind of hard, because if I do that, uh, and we're looking at 21-week series here, and that wasn't my intent, uh, but again, there's just so much that as you begin to study these churches out, there's just so much there that I just really feel like the Lord wants to open our heart and our eyes to, and so we kind of spent several weeks talking about the first church, that first letter to the church of Ephesus. This week, I want to kind of begin to turn our attention to that second church, the second message. Uh, to the church, and that's the church of Smyrna. And again, the reason that these messages are so important is they're not just messages to those seven churches. They are, in essence, messages to all churches in every age, in every culture, in every time. Again, because the issues, the challenges, the obstacles they face there are the same obstacles every church in every age and every culture will face. And the advice, the wisdom, The revelation that is given to those churches to overcome, it's the same revelation we need to overcome in this day and age as well. So again, we want to look at the church of Smyrna, uh, second uh, chapter of Revelations, uh, just really short, like I think just uh, 8 through 11. It's all we know about the Church of Smyrna, um, but I have found weeks worth of material to share with you on there because there's a lot there uh, to really understand. First thing that we need to understand is the Church of Smyrna was really kind of known as the struggling church. That was kind of their reputation back then. Now, the church of Ephesus, in contrast, I mean, they were known for their busyness, they were known for their effectiveness, for their discipline, for their devotion, uh, and the church in Smyrna had none of that. Their reputation was really kind of of being the struggling church. Now again, we don't know a great deal about this particular church there uh, in in Smyrna. There's really no background on this church in the book of Acts, uh, telling us how this church came into existence, really giving us any particulars pertaining to the church of Smyrna. All we really know, again, about the church of Smyrna is what we find in these few verses of John's letter uh, to this uh, particular church. Again, while we don't know a lot about the church of Smyrna, we do know a lot about the city of Smyrna where this particular church was located. It's about 40 miles north of Ephesus. It's located on the Sea. Uh, And it really, uh, again, uh, was a very, very beautiful city. It is one of the things that historians were very clear on. They kind of referred to it as the flower of Asia. Or others called it the crown city. As a matter of fact, it was located on the sea. And as you would kind of leave the harbor and kind of head up into the city of Smyrna, you would kind of find the city was kind of located... Um, on the slope of a hill. And and as you kind of approach the city, it was so beautiful and it was so breathtaking just uh, in the way it was positioned there in the slopes that I think that's probably where it got that nickname, Crown City. And the word Smyrna, again, has kind of a very interesting uh, meaning and origin. It is the Greek word uh, for the word myrrh. As a matter of fact, if you take the word Smyrna and you take the S off and you remove the ending, what you are left with is the Greek word for myrrh. You remember in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, how the wise men, they came to the baby Jesus and and they gave him gifts and, and they gave him gold, frankincense, and the third one was myrrh. And the Greek word there is Smyrna. And so the word kind of refers to their myrrh, it kind of refers to a balm, a spice, a perfume. Smyrna had medicinal uses back in the days of Jesus. You may remember when Jesus was crucified, he's on the cross, and someone came and offered him uh, wine mixed with myrrh. Uh, It was also used to embalm uh, dead people. In the 19th chapter of John, you remember when they came and they took the body of Jesus down off the cross after he had died, and it says that they took him and they wrapped him in long cloths uh, that were, Um, kind of uh, dipped in uh, spices and and myrrh. And so again, myrrh kind of had this association. It had this reputation uh, of suffering. And and so this is the uh, idea behind the city of Smyrna. It it also tells us a little bit about the church of Smyrna. It was a suffering, it was a struggling church church. And so again, the, the Greek word Smyrna it re- literally refers to a spice and a perfume that was sold in, in great quantities there in the city of Smyrna. Now, the city of Smyrna itself is a very very interesting city, and also gives us again some clues as to the background of the letter that John wrote to this church. First of all, Smyrna was a free city, and by that I mean it, it had its own independent Government, It did not have to pay tribute or tax to the Roman Empire. It was the birthplace of the Greek poet Homer. It was built and designed by Alexander the Great. It was in that day a model city. The streets, they were very wide, they were spacious, all of them were very well paved. As a matter of fact, they were so well designed that all of the streets kind of went at a perfect right angle. So each other from one end of the city to the other. As a matter of fact, there's one particular street in the city of Smyrna that was so famous and world-renowned, um, and it was called the Golden Street. And it was a street that started at the, at the harbor, at the seaport, and it went through the entire city of Smyrna, right down the middle of the city, and it was called the Golden Street. It was a magnificent street uh, in that it was just kind of lined with temples um, that were dedicated to many, many pagan gods of that day. And so as you would walk down that that spacious, um, beautiful, golden street, there would be, you know, this temple here would would be built to the, you know, goddess, uh, you know, Artemis. You'd have on this side a temple built to Apollo. You would have on this side of the street, you would have, you know, the temple uh, to Zeus. And so as you walk along the, the golden street there, there, it was just lined with all of these temples that were built, uh, dedicated, and honoring the pagan gods of that uh, day. Uh, at the very end of that street, on, on the other side of, of Mount uh, Pagos, there was a theater, which at that time, it was the largest theater in all of the world, and it seated about 20,000 people. So you can imagine back in that day how big that had to be. But Smyrna, it was also a very, very rich, it was an affluent city. Uh, It was located right on the sea. It was uh, a seaport harbor. Um, And it was one of the finest harbors uh, throughout the world in that it was one of the very few harbors that that could be entirely closed off in times of war. Now, that was important uh, because in times of war, ships could be able uh, to come. They could find space. They could do that uh, safely. They could unload their car. They could leave uh, unharmed. And, and so whether by sea or by roadway, Smyrna was one of the veritable marketing metropolises of its day. And as I mentioned, uh, Smyrna was also a very, very religious city. Beyond all the other gods that were worshiped there, this city Smyrna, it was kind of the hub, it was the center of Caesar worship. And I'll I'll say a little bit more about and why that was so important. And you just literally had your pick of gods. It was like a buffet. It was a smorgasbord of gods. You could just, whatever gods you wanted to worship that particular day, you could go and find a temple somewhere dedicated to that very particular god. And so again, for the beauty, the the, the richness, the opulence, the religious diversity of the city of Smyrna, you would find none of this in the church of Smyrna, which is why I believe this particular church in the midst of of where it it was located, where it dwelt, uh, was of such interest to Jesus. Interestingly, uh, Interestingly, the church of Smyrna is Only one of two churches that received no condemnation, no criticism from the Lord Jesus Christ, the other one being the church of Philadelphia. While Jesus had no criticisms, no condemnation of the church of Smyrna, it was the one church that had the greatest challenges of them all. And sometimes, you know what, Problems can be a sign of God's blessing, not not always just a curse, particularly if the problems are coming from an outside, unbelieving, pagan world. In any case, this church receives no criticism from Jesus. In fact, Jesus says in Romans chapter two, verse nine, if you've got your Bibles open, he says, I know your works. I know your works. And what he knew of their works, he was very pleased with. The church of Smyrna was a church that loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart, mind, soul, strength. Unlike the church in Ephesus, remember, they they lost their first love. Their first love had fallen from first place. Not true in the church of Smyrna. It was a church that was facing severe Troubles, trials, suffering, tribulations. They face multiple challenges, uh, opposition, and problems. And I want to kind of just talk a little bit about some of those. The first problem they faced was the problem of persecution. Now, Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus uh, says, I know your works, and then he says, your tribulations. Now, the Greek word for tribulation, that literally means pressure, It kind of referred to and it kind of had the idea connected to a man who was maybe killed by the placing of a very heavy rock on him. So so back in in days, one of the ways that they would would kill people is by placing a very, very heavy rock on them. And and then eventually that person would just eventually be not able to hold up under that weight. It would begin to kind of crush them. It would begin to make it difficult for them to breathe. And and they would kind of just uh, uh, die of asphyxiation. Uh, And and this is kind of the idea there. It's also the word uh, that is used to uh, describe the grinding uh, of wheat into flour, maybe the crushing of grapes into wine. And so that word tribulation, it literally meant uh, to, to be pressured, to be crushed. Now understand the word here, it's not referring just to, you know, ordinary, common, everyday suffering. What it's referring to here is suffering, it is pressure brought upon the church because of their witness, their testimony, uh, their belief concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's some people who think you know, if they've got a headache they're suffering for Jesus, okay? This is not, the, John, Jesus here it is not referring to it, and John's not writing about just you're getting your common, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, suffering. He's talking about suffering Christians, persecuted Christians, pressured Christians, crushed Christians um, who were going through all of this because of their witness, their testimony, their love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you already kind of uh, 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 gathered as I described this, Smyrna was a pagan city. And again, every, every god, every goddess had their particular uh, temple. Now, if the Christians, you know, the, the, the believers there in that church of Smyrna, if they had just been willing to take, you know, a cross of Jesus... You know, and maybe build a little shrine, and and maybe they could, you know, even put, you know, a, a carved figure of Jesus on the cross if they were willing to kind of stake their ground along the Golden Street with all of the other temples and all of the other artifacts that were dedicated to pagan worship. If they were willing to do that, things would have been just fine. There would have been no problem, no tribulation, no pressure no crushing there at all. But the Smyrna Christians, they refused to do that. They were not gonna take Jesus, their, their Lord and Savior, and they were not just gonna put him up there among any other gods. They were not gonna treat Jesus as just, you know, one of the boys up there. They were not willing to, to Put Jesus among other gods because as far as they were concerned, there is no other God than the Lord Jesus Christ. The God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God, that Jesus. But that was not the major problem. The major problem was that Smyrna was the center. It was the hub of Caesar worship. And all the eastern part of the Roman Empire was united uh, around this particular worship of Caesar. Now, with every other pagan god, you enjoyed the freedom of religion. If you wanted to worship Apollo, you could. If you didn't want to, that's okay. If you wanted to worship the goddess of Aphrodite, uh, that's okay. If you didn't, that's okay too. You had freedom of religion when it came to any other god and goddess. But when it came to the worship of Caesar, everyone had to abide by that everyone had to proclaim allegiance to Caesar alone as Lord. Now, the reason for this was the Roman Empire, uh, it was such a diverse place. That there were uh, diverse cities, uh, there were uh, uh, diverse cultures. I mean, there were different languages. Uh, I mean, it, it was it was just filled with with so much diversity in the Roman Empire. You had every language, race, nationality you could imagine. And now, uh, back in the day of the, when when uh, the empires ruled, there had to be some way that you could kind of unify, that you could unite people under the Roman government um, amidst all of that diversity. They thought there's got to be a common denominator by which we can bring everybody that's associated with the Roman empire. We got to be able to find a way to bring them all together and to unify them And the way that they would do that, the way they would rally and unite the Roman Empire was through the worship of Caesar. Now, it was a very, very simple thing. Once a year, you would simply come to the temple of the emperor. You would walk by this little urn. You would grab uh, just a a pinch of of dust, of dirt, whatever it was in there. You would just take just a pinch and, and you would place that Um in the uh, 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 fire, you would burn that incense and you would dedicate that uh, to uh, the uh, Caesar. And all you had to do as, as you did that, took that pinch, put it on the fire, all you had to say were two words, kaiser curios," meaning Caesar is Lord. Now, if these Smyrna Christians had just been willing to do that little simple thing once a year, They would have been accepted, they would have been loved throughout all the city. But these Christians, when they were brought forward, they refused to participate, they refused to speak any words. As a matter of fact, they were very, very clear, we will never say Kaiser Kyrios, we will only say Christos Kyrios, and that is Jesus, or Christ is Lord, Now again, you have to remember, we're talking about descendants of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? They would not budge. They would not bow. They would not bend. They were not willing to compromise their faith, and that's what these Smyrna Christians were. They were not willing to compromise their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They understood well the lesson that all who are godly, you're gonna suffer persecution. You're gonna suffer tribulation. And they were willing to pay that price to maintain their loyalty to Jesus Christ. So there was the problem of persecution. Second problem the church of Smyrna encountered was a problem of poverty. We're told in verse nine that Jesus not only saw their works, their tribulation, he also saw their poverty. Now, just to give you an idea of what Jesus is referring to, there are two words in the Greek language, which the New Testament is uh, translated from, uh, that, that talk about the word poor or poverty. One word means you're just barely getting by. You're just barely scraping. You're barely eking out a living. You're just barely making it, okay? That's not the word that is used here in the Greek, The other word for poor, poverty, uh, means absolute and utter destitution. And that's the word that Jesus is using here when he describes the church of of Smyrna having poverty. That is the word he's describing here. He's describing a church that was absolute and utter destitution. It means to have absolutely nothing. If you had gone to this church in Smyrna, it would not have been air-conditioned. You would not have had comfortable padded seats. There would have been no worship team, no worship instruments. There would not have been a big church budget. As a matter of fact, there wouldn't have been a budget because this church had no money. It was a very poor church. Now, you may ask yourself, how in the world in such a rich, opulent, you know, decadent city like Smyrna, how did this church end up so poor and destitute? Good question. I'm glad you asked. The economic life of Smyrna was built all around these various gods and goddesses. So every man that worked, that was employed, belonged to a guild. That was kind of what they called them back then. We call them labor unions today. And every labor union, every guild had a certain god or goddess they were devoted to, that they were working for, to produce things that people could have to aid them in their worship of that particular god or goddess. And the only way that you could get into one of these guilds, these labor unions, and make a living was you had to believe and worship in their particular God. Now, obviously, you see right away what the problem there is. If you didn't worship one of these gods, you could not get into one of these guilds, these labor unions. And if you could not get into one of these guilds, you could not have a job. And if you could not get a job, you could not buy or sell. And if you could not buy or sell, you could not eat. So if your faith and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and you are steadfastly loyal to him, you were economically, you were financially out in the cold. You could not buy food. You could not make a living. You could not buy clothing. You lived literally hand to mouth. Now, just to give you a picture, I'm not gonna go into too much detail, but you can go to the book of Acts chapter 19. Um, And and there, remember, Paul's in Ephesus, and there comes a great wave of persecution against those believers uh, over the uh, worship uh, in the temple of Artemis. Again, this particular guild, this labor union, Demetrius was the head of this particular guild, this labor union. He starts seeing all of these people in the city of Ephesus, they're being converted They're they're leaving their pagan false gods. They're turning to the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? They're not buying any of this stuff for the worship of Artemis. They're not buying any of these silver statues that they were making for people to worship. And all of a sudden, they kind of see as people are are, are leaving uh, the worship of Artemis and going to the worship of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden it starts impacting their livelihood. And so Demetrius calls together the labor union, and he begins to tell them what's happening. And they become outraged and and they begin shouting artemis is is god artemis is god and and it says they shouted this for hours because they understood if this continued if people continued coming to faith in the lord jesus christ it was going to put a lot of people out of work and so again it just kind of gives you a picture an idea of what the church there in smyrna was facing Now today, you know, some people who come to church come because it's good for business. And I don't I'm not talking about our church, I'm just talking about church in general. Okay. When the Smyrnans went to church, okay, when they went to their particular church, it was bad for business. And there are some Christians today who are willing to compromise their faith. They'll entertain clients. They'll throw parties, give them booze, all kinds of things because they know it's good for business. These Smyrna Christians said, even if it's bad for business, even if it means I can't make a living, I can't be employed, I can't buy or sell, even if it Um, means persecution, suffering. Uh, We will not compromise our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it's no wonder Jesus had no words of criticism for this church. So they had the problem of persecution. They had the problem of poverty. Uh, The third one is they had the problem of profanity. Um, Jesus goes on to say in verse nine, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Now the word blasphemy, oftentimes we kind of again relate that back to words that are spoken against God. But here the word literally means slander. It refers to the lies, it refers to the false malicious things that were being said by these false Jews against these Christian believers at the Smyrna church. Now notice again, when Jesus talks about those who belong to the synagogue of Satan, he's referring here to people who claim to be devout Jews. These were people who were very committed to the Mosaic law. They were experts in keeping the Sabbath. These were uh, tithers. Uh, These were, were people who took their religion very, very seriously, but Jesus, in referring to them, describes them as being from the synagogue of Satan, which was no compliment. And one of the things that you have to learn very, very quickly about the church is this. God has his crowd in every church. God has his people in every church, but so does the devil, in every church you go into, you are going to find the wheat and you're going to find the tare planted next to the wheat. There are those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and there are those who don't. And just as surely as you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, just as surely as you take a stand for the kingdom of God, there are going to be those who are going to criticize you, they are going to slander you, and they are going to come against everything you're trying to do. They're going to say false things about you. And these are the people that Jesus is describing as belonging to the synagogue of Satan. They were the devil's crowd. And the Greek word for devil is diablos, And it's where we get the word diabolical. It's a derivative of that. And it means to slander, to criticize, to, to speak negatively about someone. And these are the people Jesus is describing when he refers to those Jews who were a part of the synagogue of Satan. There are churches all across this country and around the world that have people who are members of the church, just as as some of you may be here today. Those who say they love Jesus, um, like you do, who say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, just like you, but they are dead set against the things God would desire for his church. There will always be people in the church like this until Jesus comes back and separates the wheat from the tares. There will always be opposition. There's always going to be pushback. There's always going to be persecution from the outside world, and it's also going to come from within The church. That may bother you, may be unsettling to you, but it shouldn't. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, and I'm going to close with this. Listen to what he says How blessed are you? How blessed. Not how blasted, not how bad. How blessed are you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you simply because you are a follower of Jesus. Leap for what? Leap for what? Do you do that? Be honest, is, is that your first reaction? People call you a Bible thumper, and most of us just melt. We, we run to a corner, we cower and we cry, because someone hurt my feelings. Somebody offended me.. Is that what the Bible says? Leap for joy. Be glad. It's a sign that you're blessed. Well, I don't want those kind of blessings. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Now, do you want that? Yeah. There is a great reward awaiting us in heaven be reminded remember don't forget this jesus says the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way wow when i'm persecuted i'm like one of the ancient prophets cool but again that's not often how we react to this. And this is again part of what I believe many churches around the world face. There are churches around the world that are under very intense persecution and tribulation. And they're, they're learning in the midst of that suffering. They're walking this out. They're learning to, to understand this is a blessing. And I'm going to get into more of why that is a blessing. How does God take that and, and, and use that as a blessing? And, and I'll give you a, a hint. Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Suffered. Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. That's why he said, blessed are you because I'm doing something with that in you. I am transforming you. I am bringing you into greater degrees of maturity. I'm bringing you into greater degrees of glory through suffering, through trials, through tribulation. That's why you can rejoice. That's why you can leap for joy. Because you're gonna learn something that you'll learn no other way other than through the path, the way of suffering. And we're gonna pick it up there next week. I invite the worship team to come back up on the platform. Father, we just again thank you for the lessons, the takeaway that we can learn from this very beautiful, this precious church in Smyrna. And Father, we have so much to be thankful for, Lord. We sit here this morning in air conditioning. We sit here to, to this morning in padded chairs. We have so many conveniences. And yet, Lord, oftentimes we allow those things to really get in the way of our relationship with you. Because, God, when those things stop or those things go missing, oftentimes people just stop coming. It's too hot. The preacher talks too long. We have all these excuses, God. And yet we see a church, God, that was just very sold out. And, God, none of the externals mattered because of all of the eternal, internal things that were happening in them because of their relationship with you, because they were sold out to you, that, God, nothing was going to keep them from their devotion, from their steadfastness, not persecution, not trials, not suffering, nothing, not economic hard times, nothing was going to keep them from trusting and following after you. And oh God, we ask for that kind of heart, that kind of tenacity, that kind of steadfastness, that kind of faithfulness. That God, we would not allow the external things to affect the eternal, internal things you're doing within us. So God, I just pray, Lord, again, that you will focus our eyes upon you and upon you alone. That we would look to the things in heaven, not to the things upon earth, that, God, that would be our focus. That would be where our heart is. For where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Be our treasure. So, Father, again, we just thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that we have. And, Father, we pray, Lord, at those times and those times, Lord, when when that is challenged through persecution, when people mock and lie about us and say all kinds of evil things about us simply because we love you, we follow you, that, God, you would bring to our heart, to our mind, to our spirit, God, this is an opportunity to leap for joy an opportunity to recognize our blessedness, an opportunity to recognize that we are just like the ancient prophets who were persecuted in the same way and that there awaits a great reward for us in heaven. That is fixing our mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are upon this earth. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you again would just teach us, lead us, Be the shepherd of our heart, Lord, that we can keep our eyes, our heart, our love, our devotion fixed firmly and steadfastly upon you. Help us to be like that church in Smyrna. And we just again thank you, Lord, for the ways that you're using this again to challenge us, to open our eyes, to draw us near to you. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praycc.org. about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.